0: All right, hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast into the week of April 9th, which is Resurrection Sunday, aka Easter 2023. If you're in town this weekend, I hope to see you at Mission Hills. We'll be doing breakfast tacos at 10 a.m. So, my suggestion uh, for you this Easter is to not believe in the resurrection. Of course, it's just a suggestion, but before you dismiss the idea as heresy, and report me to the denominational board, give me a few moments to explore some notions about what life might be like if we allow the event of resurrection to transform us. I've spoken in past years about how uh, the popular Christian tradition usually exploits resurrection as some kind of means to an end, whether that's Conquering death, probably because of a deeply repressed fear of dying, a theological checkmate of sorts that proves the capital T truth of Jesus's divinity, which uh, now supplants or diminishes other religious or non-religious worldviews. Paul Hessler put it like this: Christianity regards resurrection as parole of the necessity of passion. It looks to that as its joy. For many Christians, hoping for joy on Easter is like a wish fulfillment endeavor of two people searching for wholeness on Love is Blind. Christians use the resurrection to legitimize a a worldview, usually turning Jesus into an idol of worship on Easter Sunday, which has probably left us all at some point sitting in a church pew wondering why God or anyone else for that matter would need us to intellectually agree with an interpretation of a story read from the good book. <laughs> What's ironic about Christianity's interpretive lenses that is that it needs resurrection to not have a transformative function in the lives of its adherents for them to return the following Sunday, the Sunday after that, or next Easter. And I think a glance at the current American political landscape reveals mm, quite the vacancy of any positive impact of those who claim to believe in the resurrection, using air quotes. Demonstrating that what we say about Christ or resurrection usually tells us more about our social and political context than anything. So what good is it to the world if um, belief in the resurrection is nothing more than wishful thinking that a a story historically is accurate or even vaguely spiritually true. And I think the first piece of good news is that uh, the books of the Bible weren't written to be historically accurate, uh, which is one reason why the resurrection should indicate to us that something far more strange and mysterious is happening. Uh, There are unique accounts of the resurrection, and they're not trying to tell us the same story. Instead, they're expressing encounters with the sacred mystery of resurrection life, life after the resurrection. Uh, I'm going to tell you what you probably already know, but chronologically, the first account of resurrection is from 1 Corinthians, in which Paul, sometime around the 50s, tells his audience that Jesus was raised on the third day, uh, and then appeared to Peter, and then uh, the other disciples, and then appeared to 500 people at one time, and, and then eventually to Paul decades later through a blinding visionary encounter, which we know Luke writes about in the, in the book of Acts. Then uh, the gospel accounts come after this. The gospel accounts uh, written in the decades following Paul tell different resurrection stories. Mark's tradition was the first and perhaps the most enigmatic. As you probably remember, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome go to the tomb with spices, uh, only to be startled by an empty tomb and an angel who is sitting down inside. Terrified, they leave and don't say a word to anyone, roll credits. Uh, And then, written around 10 years later, Matthew tells the story of Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus just the two of them uh, experiencing a violent earthquake near the tomb as an angel descends from heaven like lightning. Uh, and while they're still, still scared of this uh, encounter, they run joyfully to tell the disciples uh, that Jesus had been raised. Uh, another decade passes, and Luke's resurrection story merges with unnamed women who find an empty tomb with two men in glowing robes Uh, who have a specific reminder of Jesus's words to them about his crucifixion and resurrection. And then that leads Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and the Mary of Mother Jesus uh, to tell others without any mention of fear. And then, lastly, John writes about the resurrection decades later, giving us a completely unique account of that Sunday morning. In his story, Mary Magdalene goes alone to find the empty tomb. So she rushes back to tell Peter and another disciple, and they all return to the tomb to find linen and a burial cloth separated and folded. The disciples see, believe, and go home. But Mary Magdalene stays. And while she's grieving, two angels appear in the tomb, and she tells them she's upset. She, they don't she doesn't know where they took the body. And then she sees a man who she thinks is a gardener. And while they're talking, she tells him that she's looking for Jesus. That man says her name, and she begins to recognize him as the risen Christ. All unique accounts of the resurrection. And I hope it can uh, I hope we can begin to see that uh, there is there's no resurrection to believe in. Uh, the diversity of the resurrection accounts are infused with odd and absurd mysteries that plunge us beyond any kind of simplistic interpretations, and I would even say meaning-making structures themselves. Tolstoy claimed the only knowledge attainable is that life is meaningless. The resurrection is an event that shakes The status quo frameworks of meaning altogether. So while popular Christianity views the resurrection as legitimizing uh, religious identity, theological principles, confessional statements, belief systems, historical validity, the resurrection narratives are, are trying to open us up to a future that is beyond meaning, religious or otherwise. I think the empty tomb is perhaps the most appropriate image and symbol for this wisdom of embracing the void. The uh the apostle Paul, he admits that preaching the cross is foolishness, but it's it's a foolishness that is liberating. And I think this radical concept is also true of the resurrection if we're willing to move beyond belief in the resurrection to embracing the experience um, of our spiritual ancestors through embracing the void, to fully welcome the void, is to uh, come to terms with uh, the great abyss at the heart of the human experience. I think we see this um, played out in all of these uh, resurrection accounts, what James Finley uh, might describe as uh, the loving presence that protects us from nothing and sustains us in everything. It's, this sentiment, um, it's it's not comforting, in particularly probably on Easter when we want to go to church and we're waiting for someone at the front to eh, just tell us what it all means. Uh, I'm sure the pastor will, will clear us up so we can feel good. We go off to post-Easter Easter lunch. The resurrection of Christ is transformative if we recognize our experience with absence, or what uh, Richard Boothby calls the void. It does not give our lives new meaning, but finally st- stops our pursuit for meaning once and for all. Uh, it's an important distinction because I think even progressive Christianity, sometimes we we merely swap uh, hope in a physical resure- resurrection for hope in a spiritual resurrection, or The function of this hope is not different because it's wishful thinking, which the framework of the future changes from heaven, like things will be better in an afterlife, to earth, uh, things will be better in an idealized future, while the frenetic pursuit for meaning and the accompanying feelings of anxiety and dissatisfaction remain. But the empty tomb gives us a symbol that can move us forward from the notions of belief, whether physical or spiritual, uh, hoping that uh, God will save us or hoping that God will will save alongside us. Instead, the empty tomb uh, confronts us with a knowing darkness and mystery. Uh, As the Gospels allude, uh, we approach and are shaken, gaze in, and we are blinded. Like Mary Magdalene grieving the garden, the empty tomb turns our world inside out, voiding it of any purpose. Uh, This is a confrontation with meaninglessness, of the meaninglessness of human existence. After gazing into the empty tomb and coming to terms with the Mysterium Tremendum, the Great Abyss, resurrection hope can never be optimism or wishful thinking. Things will be better in another life. Things will be better in the future. I think of Nick Offerman's character in Dev's As a kind of wishful thinking, trying to resurrect resurrect what he lost. Embracing the void moves uh, beyond nihilism and forward from the experience of loss, grief, and fear with an ever-deepening grace, hope, and love for the other in the world, which expresses itself in radical openness, which is itself another mysterious void of resurrection and possibility. Mark's gospel remarkably ends with the story in the void, perhaps teaching us that we have to spend time here embracing the void to truly move forward with love. I I think about Jack Puto's phrase, religion is for lovers a lot, because I think when taken seriously, um, excuse me, uh, a lot of people uh, run away from especially in Christianity, uh, the term and the religion. But religion at its best isn't afraid of the absurd abyss of loving amid unknowing, which we call God through the, experience, the very experience of love itself in an expanding universe that is its own void. Simone Weil communicates this when she writes, grace fills empty spaces, but it can only enter where there is a void to receive it, and grace itself makes this void. A Christian encounter with resurrection creates an inexplicable void, the self-emptying of all definable constructs, images, and language. This is the empty tomb. So in popular Christianity, to believe is to think something is true, something To have a right idea is to believe. To embrace the void has nothing to do with thinking accurate thoughts and has everything to do with being open to experience the depth of love that comes through trust. Uh, Paul Hesert would call this uh, this kind of depth to life to have soul. One of my New Testament professors, he always replaced the word Belief with trust, because belief is equated with being right, and trust is op- is an open posture to life. So while belief is sort of uh, hold, held tight, um, trust is is left open. To trust is to experientially know that life is good and death is safe, because we've we've already been embraced by the empty tomb, which opens us to a capacity. For grace and love, there's there's an, an okayness with the inexplicable and the tragic. Uh, I think of Julian Norwich from her isolated cell puts it puts it like all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. You know, to echo back to James Finley, the loving presence that protects us from nothing and sustains us in everything. Trust breaks us free from. The, the self-improvement cycle, our achievement society, guilt-ridden and repressed messages of popular Christianity, the need to become spiritual, the need to have right ideas, all of these pursuits for meaning. By embracing the empty tomb, we no longer need belief because we have seen, know, there's only an acceptance at the end of meaning. This is a void that ignites love. Thich Nhat Han writes, Thanks to emptiness, everything is possible. Thanks to emptiness, everything is possible. Thanks to the emptiness, actuality, Hesser would say, is finally possible. Resurrection, he writes, is the loss. Of possibilities and the gift of life beyond possibility what lies beyond is not the possibility and the structure of meaning but actuality the reign of god is not a possibility to be realized but an actuality to be seen entered and inherited so possibility is not again optimism or wishful thinking for a better future possibility is not hoping that everything will work out in the end having right belief, possibility is liberation here and now into the depth of the present actuality, which is only love. Vey writes, the soul must go on loving in the void. The soul must go on loving in the void. When we glance back on our resurrection stories, we see lives transformed by love, not characters who thought they were right, For those who encountered the resurrection of Christ, it completely transformed their experience of love, opened their lives, the lives of the women and the disciples to trust life beyond meaning, beyond their conventional, uh, cultural, and religious uh, strictures, to live radical lives transformed in the power of love to love. And so much more could be said. Of this love, So, my suggestion is not to believe in the resurrection, but to live in the wake of the resurrection, with love that flows from the void, which trusts all that life is. Of course, I could be wrong. As always, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well. I don't know where to begin. again i lost my strength completely